series, and we're calling it Encounters with Jesus. What we're going to be doing is focusing on some of the very first encounters that different people had with Jesus at his birth. And we're going to be exploring how these initial encounters impacted the remainder of their lives. But most importantly, friends, how it should impact us. You know, an, an encounter with Jesus is not just at the point of salvation. It's not just at the point of understanding that we need a Savior. An encounter with Jesus is something that you and I have available to us every single day. Now, here's an important question. Here's a tension point. Are we endeavoring to encounter Jesus daily? Are we seeking to connect with him on a daily basis? Are we seeking to growing in knowing him and experiencing relationship with him? And so today we're going to be starting our series by looking at one of the very first people to encounter Jesus. As a matter of fact, he was one of the very first people that encountered Jesus in the most uh, unorthodox way. His name was Joseph. This guy, Joseph, encountered Jesus before he was born. He encountered Jesus through a message that was given to him. But the thing is that he almost missed this encounter. I want to turn in the scriptures, if you'll join with me, into Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to start at verse 18. And starting at verse 18, this recounts Joseph's experience. And it says, now at the birth of Jesus Christ, uh, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed uh, to, uh, to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Fellas, join with me and go, uh-oh. Uh-oh. So, 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 something seems to be off here, but we're going to see how right it is, right? And then Joseph, her husband, being uh, a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Right? And, but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is uh, conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. It's of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save uh, his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused by the angel of the Lord, uh, commanded him, uh, uh, as the angel of the Lord commanded him, uh, and took to him his wife. So let's, let's dig into this a little bit. Let me give you some context for what's going on here, right? Because we can read this at surface level but miss the magnitude of what actually was occurring. You see, this, at this point, there had been 400 years that had passed by that there was no prophetic voice of the Lord. In those days, God spoke through people. Right? He used people, he chose certain people to bring messages to his people, to lead them, to enlighten them, to correct them. And so there had been 400 years of what appeared to be silence. And in the midst of this, in, in the midst of those 400 years, a lot had happened. 
Namely, there had been two empires that came into existence that changed the world as people knew it. The first one was the Grecian Empire, which came under the, uh, under the uh, leadership of a man named Alexander the Great, who introduced Hellenism. And what, and what that did was it created an entirely different way of thought. It was philosophical. It was mythical. It was based on several gods. There were all these type of ideas, all these rituals, all these pagan um, uh, activities that took place, all these weird things that were happening. Till this day, Hellenism still exists. So Hellenism in, in infiltrated the world system. It became the way of life. But then Alexander the Great passes away and the Roman Empire comes in. But as they come in as a new empire, they still have Grecian culture. They are still operating according to Hellenism, right? They have their own way of doing things. But Hellenism is very much a big part of, of the, the known world. And as such, the people of Israel, many had become accustomed to this. They kind of just said, hey, this is the way it is, right? There were those who very much uh, detested Rome and their rulership and all that for obvious reasons. But uh, most had become accustomed to this rule. And in the middle of all this, in, in this Hellenistic culture, um, there was a prophecy that was long gone. It was like mythical folklore. It was this prophecy that there would be a savior. A Messiah who would come and restore his reign. God on earth, his kingdom established. And it was the God that many people knew to be the God of Israel. And so there were some in Israel that were still holding on to that, and they were crying out for this Savior. But this was mythical folklore for many. In other words, it was distant. You know, we'd heard about it, yeah, maybe someday, but nobody was holding on to it. And in the midst of all this, there was a man named Joseph. Joseph was an older man. Joseph was an older man who was betrothed to this pretty young thing called Mary. She was a lot younger. That's just the way it was in those days. Older men married younger women. And so he was betrothed to her, meaning that he was, she was promised to him. So he had submitted his dowry to her family, which is a common practice in those days. He was built, he's most likely building a home and preparing, a, you know, everything so that when they get married and they finally, you know, come, come to be one, that everything is set and they can live their lives. And in the midst of all this... While he's doing all this stuff, he finds out some news. Mary shows up and she says, Joseph, I've got amazing news. I've got great news. And he goes, what is it, baby? She goes, I'm pregnant. And it's God's, God's the father. Now, I want you to envision that for a moment. I want you to insert yourself in the middle of that. And I want you to consider, how would you respond to that? Fellas, you, are you in the house today? Where are my fellas at? Oh, okay, all right. There's quite a few of you here. Yeah, fellas, and for those of you online, I want you to think about how you would respond to that in hearing that news. You'd probably ask this question, how can this be? How is this possible? You'd probably be thinking, what will people think if I go with this? Right? You're probably, you're probably going to be thinking, uh, um, this doesn't make sense. 
But the scripture gives us some insight into Joseph. It tells us that Joseph was a just man. In other words, he was a man of great integrity. He was a man who sought to honor God. And in the midst of that, he was wrestling with all this as he's hearing this because he had heard the prophecies of old. But this wasn't the way he thought it would be. And not, not, more, even more so, he didn't think that he would have to play a part in it. And so none of this is registering for him. He's doubting this. And so the scripture tells us that while he, while he was betrothed to her, he begins to uh, enact a plan. You see, he loved her, and we know that he loved her because he didn't want her to become a public spectacle. He didn't want her to be shamed, right? He didn't want her to, to, to be ridiculed. He didn't want her to be the talk of the town, and he certainly didn't want her to die by stoning, which was possible according to Jewish law in those days. And so Joseph comes up with a plan, and he says, Sweetheart, I need you to pack your bags as quietly, as quickly as you can, and go as far as you can from this place. But you see, nothing about this situation made sense then. And let's be honest, friends. Nothing about it would make sense now. I mean, fellas, track with me. Baby, I'm pregnant and God's the father. Some of you would be considering calling Jerry Springer to find out who's the father. We need to get some DNA testing here. You're like, I'm not buying that. What do you mean God's the father? Right? Imagine how Joseph felt. And what would have happened if Joseph responded the way we would? What would have happened? Let me tell you what would have happened. The biblical record says that she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. The scripture says that Joseph, in Joseph's dream, an angel told him that this child was conceived of the Holy Spirit. The, the prophecy that the, the scripture references says that the virgin shall be with child and she will bear a son they would call him Emmanuel. They would refer to him as Emmanuel. Why? Because it would be an indication of a powerful truth that God is now with us. And in the midst of all this revelation, all that the scripture says in this short little narrative of Joseph's encounter with this angel, Joseph was missing something. See, what seemed impossible to Joseph and made no sense according to nature's laws and our understanding was made possible by one thing and one thing only. It was a work of God's spirit. It was a work of God's spirit. See, if Joseph had responded the way we would today, here's the truth. He would have missed the inner working that the spirit of God wanted to do in his life and through his life. Friends, today I bring you no wisdom of my own. I bring you no opinion. I want to simply encourage you to consider the scriptural narrative that we have, the biblical history that's recorded for us. And I need you, I want us to dig in, lean into God's heart, and ask, us, ask God a couple of questions. God, is there something you're teaching me here that I never knew? 
Is there something that I've been missing that you're teaching me? God, is there something that you're showing me that I'm doing wrong? An area in my life where I'm going the wrong way. God, is there something that you're showing me to do correctly from this point forward? And lastly, God, are you giving me instruction which calls for me to change something? To apply this to my life in a practical way and change something in partnership with you. Today I want to talk to you on the topic, it's a work of God's spirit in you. It's a work of God's spirit in you. Whether you know it or not, friend, God is working in you. God is working on you. God is working through you. God is present. He is not absent. He is with you till your dying day, till the return of Christ. He is not left you. He does not forsake you. He's with you. Question, are you aware of that? Are you aware of that? I think that one of the things that, that and, and, and pardon me because, you know, I'm going, I'm going off script, guys. I do that often, but anyway. You know, I think that one of the challenges to understanding the Holy Spirit that lives within us is that we treat the Holy Spirit as a the, as a it. And Holy Spirit is God within you and me. Holy Spirit is help from God for you and me. Holy Spirit is the power of God in you and me. And so thus, it requires that we dig in and begin to lean into the workings of God. Because whether you know it or not, God is working in you. But friend, it is not an outside job. Some of us, we approach relationship with God, and we just want to beautify the outside of our homes, so to speak. We just want to look good on the outside. We think that relationship with God is religion, and religion says dress a certain way, act a certain way, look a certain way, talk a certain way, do a certain thing, right? Follow a certain mandate. And so we focus so much on the outside, but if the inside is dead, friend, the outside eventually is going to crumble. And see, the only one that can do a work on the inside of you and I is the Holy Spirit. And it's not that we don't play a part, but some of us attempt to replace Holy Spirit by doing, trying to do his work for him. So let me just give you, let me just rapid fire and choose some scripture. And I want you to really lean into these. I'm not going to give any, you know, any uh, insight into them. I just want you to meditate on what they're saying. And I want you to ask yourself, God, what are you showing me about your Holy Spirit in me? What are you showing me about your presence in my life? The first one that I want to look at is John 14, 26 through 28. It says, but the helper, the helper, the helper, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And he will bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the Father. For my Father is greater than I. John 16, 8 says, and when he comes... He will expose sin. 
In other words, he's, he's, not, he's not making a spectacle of people, but he brings light to our lives. We're going to touch on this a little bit more, where he reveals to us our need for a Savior. And so when he comes, he will expose sin and prove that the, that the world is wrong about God's righteousness and its judgments. Romans 8, 26 says this, likewise, the Spirit also, what? Helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we are, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Galatians 5, and 23 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of Jose, not the fruit of Anthony, not the fruit of Lisa, not the fruit of Mark, not the fruit of Joseph, not the fruit of Gianni. It's not your fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such, there is no law. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple? It's the house is what the original language says. Of the Holy Spirit who is in you, in you, with you, for you, whom you have from God. Listen, from God, from God. Do you realize that you are a container, a vessel, a carrier of the very essence of who God is? Some of us are looking for God out there and we fail to realize that he's right here working in your life. And, but here's, here's the key. And you're not your own. You're not your own. 2 Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is liberty. You know, the Holy Spirit, according to the Scripture, gives enlightenment to the sinner, liberty to the Christian, strength to the weak, peace to the troubled, direction to the worker, discernment to the teacher, power to the word, faith to the faithful, fruit to the faithful. He reveals things of Christ and he empowers us to live a good and God-honoring life. He prepares us for good acts of service. He prepares us for God's ordained purposes and callings upon your life and mind. It's the Holy Spirit that does does the work in you and I. So question, why are we trying to play the role of Holy Spirit? Why, why, why are we doing that? Why do we do that? Why do we do that? See, the reason why the birth of Jesus made no sense to Joseph was because he had no understanding of the way in which God was working and in the way God works. King David said this, it's not by might nor by power, but it's by your spirit. By your spirit. Friends, can I just say something? If you're tired, if you're struggling, if your faith feels like a grind, let me tell you why. It's because you are excluding the Holy Spirit. You're excluding the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're trying to do this on your own. And you can't. You can't. We can't. We cannot do this on our own. So today I want to just give you three things to meditate on, to chew on, as it relates to 
the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. The first thing I want you to see is that change is an inside job. Change is an inside job. You know, we just purchased this facility. Thank God. Come on, give God some praise. And this isn't our final stop, but it's, 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 it's the next step and, you know, where we're going. But here's the thing. In the midst of that, there's a lot of interior work that needs to be done. There's a lot of renovation that needs to be done. And our contractor, who is a member here at the church, we were talking with him, and he says, you know, Pastor, um, we can guesstimate what this is going to cost, but here's the reality. You don't know what the work is until you begin to pull walls off and see what's on the inside. Let me tell you something, friends. You need an expert to look beyond the surface of your life. We attempt to do that with psychiatrists. We attempt to do that with medication. We attempt to do that with self-help books. But there's only one helper, Holy Spirit. There's only one that can touch the mind, the will, and the emotions. It's Holy Spirit. And so, you see, I, I love that, that, that analogy because we don't know what the job is within us. Only the expert, the Holy Spirit of God, is the one who can do it within us. See, friends, we have the ability to change a lot of things. We can change behaviors. We can change appearance. We can change direction. We can change locations. Hey, we can change our physical makeup. Right? We can change our plans. We can change our ideas. We can change some things that we don't like in our lives. But here's what you and I cannot change and we cannot transform. Us. can't do it. Cannot. You can't change the real you. You can't transform the real you. The person you see that no one else sees that you can't get away from, the beliefs that you struggle to undo, the selfishness that lurks within us, that consumes us because we're concerned with self before anyone else or anything else. We can't change that. You're going to see that in a second from Scripture. See, Joseph was a good and God-fearing man. He really was a good man. But there was something within him that almost stopped him from encountering Christ and the new life that Christ would bring to him. You know what that thing was? Self. I'll prove it to you. He was thinking about his reputation. He was thinking about his survival. He was thinking about um, how he would, his well-being, how he would be received by people. And friends, let's be honest. Let's call it what it is. We do the same. We do the same. And because we do the same, we need to become intimate with Holy Spirit. We have to allow him to renovate us from within. And the way he does that is very interesting. Here's where it begins. Here's where the work of the Holy Spirit begins. John 16, verses 8 through 11. I'm reading from a different version. It says, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin. That word convict does not mean to convict you like a felon. It doesn't mean to put you away and throw away the key. That's not what it's talking about. I've taught on this before, but it, it, it warrants reflection and further a, 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 a consideration. The word convict there means to convince. To convince you in the place of your conviction, of your belief, of what you think you know to be true. And so it says when he has come, he will convince the world of sin. Convince the world of sin how? He shows us that we need a Savior, that we can't do this on our own. 
Friends, I don't know about you. Anybody make mistakes? Yeah, we all do. Here's the thing. We can't undo that on our own. We can't change that on our own. Thus, we need someone who can. We need someone who can. So he convinces the world of its sin and of righteousness. What is the scripture talking about there? When it talks about righteousness, it's talking about the fact that because Jesus completed his job here on the earth and now went back and he sits at the right hand of the Father, it is a done deal. We are right with God regardless of sometimes the wrong things we do. That's righteousness. We've become the righteousness of God. He convinces us of that. When you know you are righteous in God's eyes, you won't run from him. You'll run to him. And he also convinces us of judgment. But what judgment? So it says of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more. But of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. This is talking about Satan. And when you become convinced that Satan is no longer your greatest threat, you start walking in power. You start overcoming some things that you were once stuck in. And what this all does for us, friends, when we begin to allow the Holy Spirit to do an inside job renovation, when we allow him to start there, you know what that does for us? It removes shame. It undoes guilt. It destroys our fear of Satan. But mostly, above all, it releases us to begin a new life. To begin. To begin. Can I give you some... Can, can I give you a sound piece of advice? Stop trying to do the Holy Spirit's job. Stop trying to do God's job. Our job is to, and this is going to lead us right into our next point, is to follow him. It's to seek after him. It's to get to know him. And as we do, that begins an inside job. So the next point I want to leave you with is that the Holy Spirit is leading us. But it is up to us to follow the Holy Spirit is leading us, but it's up to us to follow. Think about it. There was a powerful work that God wanted to do in Joseph's life, but it could not happen without Joseph. See, God's job is to guide. Holy Spirit guides, but it's our job to follow. It's our job to follow. It's our job to follow, friends. And so Joseph had to follow the leading of God in this moment. God wanted to include Joseph in his plan. But friends, Joseph could have killed that. Could have killed that. Do you know where most, where, where many, many, many God-ordained dreams and purposes lie today? You know where they lie? In graves. You know why they lie in graves? Because someone never took the step to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Someone never took the step to pursue the calling that God placed on their life. Someone never took the step of faith that called for them to leave where they were, leave who they were with, leave what they thought life was all about, to go where God was leading them. And friends, God has not called you to bury his work in your life. He's called you to open your heart, open your mind, open your understanding, and follow after him. Let me show you this from Scripture, lest you think I'm just giving you an opinion here. 
Galatians 5, 16 and 17, then we're going to skip to verses 19 through 21. He says, I say then walk in the spirit. Somebody say walk. walk. Now, when you hear walk, you're thinking about a stroll. You're thinking about a casual stroll, right? Now, walking in the rain, right? You know, walking on some grass, going for a little walk, doing a little exercise. This word walk has nothing to do with that. This word walk speaks of a manner of life. It's a commitment. It's the marathon. I'm in it to win it. My body tells me otherwise. My mind tells me otherwise. I'm sticking with it. I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Lust of the flesh simply speaks about desires that we have that have nothing to do with God. It's our own desires. It's selfishness. It's self-fulfillment. It's what I want. It's about me, my four, no more. And so it goes on to say, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So get this picture. Holy Spirit is leading always this way. And if we're not careful, if we're not following, we're always going to be going that way. That way. We're always going to go that way. And so these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Now, the works of the flesh, this is where we, you and I go when we're not following the Spirit. This is our natural tendency. This is the evidence, right? It leads us to things like adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, right? Idolatry. We begin to worship jobs. We worship money. We worship people. We worship culture. We worship possessions, right? And then it goes on to say, um, next verse, please. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. That's uncontrolled anger. That's anger without parameters. Selfish ambitions, dissensions. That's divisions amongst us in our relationships, amongst the church. Heresies. We begin to come up with ideas that are contrary to the scripture. Oh, you know what? I can do this, but I can't do that. We got a perfect example of that in Little Nas who just posted some crazy stuff. Check it out if you know what I'm talking about. He is wilding, bugging out. I won't even touch it here. But it's It's crazy. To think that you could pray on your knees and then do some other things too. Talks about envies and murders and drunkenness and revelries and the like. And it says, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me stop right there. Because for some of us, we're still of the opinion and belief that that says that if you start going that way, you're going to hell. That's not what the scripture says there. It says you won't inherit the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? The Bible says that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's an experience with God that is personal. It's working in you. But you can forsake that. You can forego that. You can forego the benefits of this kingdom, of the blessing upon your life when you start doing your own thing. Question, which direction are you walking in? Who are you following? You know, salmon are some of the smartest animals in all creation. They're one of the few fish, if not the only fish, that swim upstream. But you know why they swim upstream? 
because they understand that if they just follow the flow where all the other fish go, the legs that they, ate, that they lay, what they conceive, will be destroyed because there's too many predators around. And so what salmon do is they swim upstream. They go against the current because they know if they go against the current, there's no one there. I can lay. I can conceive what God has called me to. I can nurture what God has called me to. I can work in what God has called me to. And devil, you can't touch it. Culture, you can't touch it. People, you can't touch it. Why? Because I'm not following the norm. Again, which direction are you headed? Who are you following? Now, let me give you a practical example of what it looks like and what it takes to go upstream. You've heard it, but I'm going to read it again. John 16, 13. However, when the spirit of truth, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. Leave that verse up for a moment. Think about where Holy Spirit leads you and I. He leads us to truth. And truth calls for us to go against the grain. If you're walking according to the truth, can I tell you, you're going to rub against some people. Some people are going to get offended. They're not going to, and it's not that you're like, you know, please don't be that person who thinks that you're Jesus Jr. and you could just condemn everyone. Not that Jesus condemned anyone because he didn't. But some of us, we go to an extreme and we just, you, you're going to hell. Well, not even the Holy Spirit convicts you of that. He convinces you of your need for a Savior. He convinces you that because of Jesus, you can't, you can't literally walk in righteousness before God, not based on your actions or your behavior. It's based upon what he did. Right? So, so where was I going with that? <laughs> oh, I'll tell you where I was going with that. He's going to lead you according. He's going to lead you to truth. And truth is going to call you and I. It's going to cause us if we follow to go upstream, to go upstream, to do what's right when it feels wrong. Hey, how about this one? Honoring your spouse. That's going upstream. Because I don't know about you, but spouses be acting crazy sometimes. Right? Some of you, some of you need to stop nudging that person next to you. Stop acting like you Holy Spirit because you're not. Right? How about that business decision that you're about to make that's questionable? It's not sinful, but it doesn't feel right either. Yeah, that gray area, that's no good. How about that pull to be a blessing in this house? How about the call to forgive, to move on? How about, how about that pull in your life that says, I have to begin to do something with these gifts and these talents that I have as opposed to just sitting on my hands and waiting on Jesus till he returns. Yeah. Like, like we're called to, 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 to follow the Holy Spirit. 
It's his leading. He's leading us into truth. And when we begin to walk in the direction following the Holy Spirit, here's what it says. He's there guiding us. And because he's guiding us, then we begin to see what lies ahead. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, life is one big fog for you because you're not following. You're not walking with the one that guides you. He's with you, but you're not walking with him. The last point I want to leave you with here today is that the Holy Spirit helps us navigate life with power. He helps us navigate life with power. Joseph had a life journey ahead of him. It wasn't an easy one. Listen, this man had to make a decision that could lead to his death. He had to make a decision that defied all religious norms and rules that went against popular opinion. He had to, he had to do something that made no sense whatsoever. You know, life is a lot like a road trip. I mean, in this day and age, everybody uses a GPS. And if you don't, you're weird. You're weird. I mean, there used to be a time when I didn't need a GPS. Now I just pop it in and I just go. But, you know, smartphones don't actually make us that smart because I don't know where I'm going half the time. But anyway, that's another story. But life is a lot like a road trip. My point is that we all need help to navigate so that we can arrive at our God-ordained destinations. And Joseph, he did not have the strength to face what was ahead, what would come as a result of this pregnancy. He did not know how to deal with the insecurity that would come with the responsibility of raising a boy who he knew was actually the savior of the world and whose father was God. He was not prepared for the threats to the life of Jesus that lay ahead. Friends, he needed help. Just like we need help. It's for that reason that when the early church first arose and when Joseph first began to take his steps, they had to accept this. This has to be by a work of God's Spirit. Jesus said this to the early church, the very first disciples. Listen, they, they knew the message. Jesus is the Son of God. He died for sin. He rose again to prove he's God, but to make a way for all men to rise too. Right? They knew how to share that message, but they didn't know what they were doing. They made tons of mistakes, and as such, Jesus gave them this promise. Acts 1.8 says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's leave that verse up for a moment. Friends, I want you to consider what the scripture is saying here. The infilling of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues was an empowerment. But you know where most Christians go wrong with this? We stop at speaking in tongues. We think that it's just that. And what the scripture actually tells us is something so much more powerful. It tells us that it is an equipping for us to be witnesses. Wherever you go, where you start, where you end up, next step, and until the end of the earth, 
You can walk in the power of God's spirit. You can walk in tandem with the most powerful thing, the most powerful person that is at work in your life. It's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, working in you, through you, for you, and taking you to places you never thought you would end up. I am telling you, my friends, as we stand and we come to a close today, that it is time for you to begin to follow after the leading of the Holy Spirit. And stop trying to lead yourself. Stop trying to lead yourself. And to do that, friends, it begins with a decision. And it it begins with a moment of transparency before God and with yourself. Are you flowing with the Spirit of God or are you flowing against Him? Are you going where God is leading you? Are you doing what's right even when it feels hard and wrong? Are you making the tough decisions that are necessary, that are God-honoring, that may put you, that may, they may pit you against people, but they place you in the presence of God? Are you making those decisions? Because, friends, I am telling you that if you will make that decision, not only will you encounter Christ, but you will begin to bring to fruition with the work of God in your life his fruit. You'll walk in joy. You'll walk in peace. You'll discover purpose. You'll begin to walk as, as, as a living, breathing, moving movement of God wherever you go. But it all begins with this first encounter. Not that one. (laughs) This encounter. God, it's a work of your spirit. And today I choose to follow you. To follow you. Let's take a moment and talk to God. Don't wait for me to talk to God for you. Father, today we come to you in your precious name. Your children, loved by you, chosen by you, called by you, forgiven by you, embraced by you. And Lord, we acknowledge this today, that this whole process of change and transformation and growth and discovering what we're created for and where we're supposed to go and what we're supposed to do, that, Lord, it is a work of your spirit. It's not a work of our hands. We participate in the process by following after you. And today we make a decision to turn around, to turn around in those areas where we've been going against your leading, to make the tough decision that's necessary right now in this moment, to cut off that thing that needs to be cut off right now in this moment, And to turn to you, Lord. Hmm. And Lord, we thank you. Because we know this. That when we put our trust in you. Oh, Lord, you establish a path ahead of us. And it's a good one. I thank you for new beginnings in this house. I thank you for doors that are opening up. Because we're we're walking away from the wrong ones. I thank you, Lord, that you're doing a work in our lives. By your spirit. 
Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.